Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, I do have a comment I'd like to share with you again. And I do want to thank everybody out there listening who is making comments. To uh, uh, just want to thank you for doing that. It just uh, it does encourage us to keep going. But this says, Dear Mr. Leap, thank you for such an interesting program this morning. As a listener to JBL from the beginning, I know you speak for many. As I say, you have been truly missed and welcome back. So I appreciate that. I'm really happy to be back. It says, thank you for sharing your brain issues from COVID. That very day, my daughter tearfully revealed to me the same issue she has been dealing with and her concerns regarding early onset dementia at 48 years old. I hope your story will give her and others with long COVID encouragement and the path required for healing, take care. So I think I may have, now that I've read that, I may have read that before, but I do think it's important for everybody out there that that has been suffering from brain fog from COVID is you can overcome it, but I don't recommend you go to a medical doctor for help. Uh, I think it'd be better if you go to to someone that is into to natural medicines and uh herbal things and that's what I did and and uh my chiropractor is is definitely anti vaccine he's definitely anti a lot of drugs but he's really great he does know how to use uh certain amino acids and certain herbs to to really help you along and that's really what I think broke me out so and, and anyway I'm really not sad or let's say scary to to share that with you because it is something that everybody, a lot of people have really gone through. And I am really clear, back running, back joking, back doing all those good things, and so I can be back on the radio. So with me in the studio today is my producer, Mr. Dan Arnfeld. Good afternoon, Dan. Hello. Glad to have you back. Also with me in the studio today is one of my wonderful friends in literature, Mr. Grant Turgeon. Welcome back into the studio, Mr. Turgeon. Thank you very much. Now, on our last program, we uh, we finished discussing two very important chapters. Now, for today's program, we're going to be discussing chapter 99, and it's titled The Doubloon. I think, and uh, I'm sure Mr. Turgeon has his opinions as well, I think chapter 99 is one of the most unique chapters in the whole book. It says, Melville uses the doubloon as a mirror into Ahab's soul, but also as a mirror into the souls of the crew. And it's, it's interesting how he, how he does this. I, I mean, I, Mr. Turgeon and I have talked about this before is I can imagine him sitting in his study. He would go in at eight in the morning and he would stay till four in the afternoon, never come out, you know, and, uh, how long did it take him to think this up? You know, it's, it's like, it's, it's really good. But, um, th- how the chapter opens is, uh, is he tells us that Captain Ahab 
when he's get fr- when he gets frustrated about not encountering Moby Dick, and we know these last chapters, he's not encountering Moby Dick. <laughs> he's meeting all these ships, and they say, "No, we haven't seen him." Uh, yeah, but in chapter one hundred, he does find someone that does see him, and that doesn't stop him anyway. But uh, when Ahab is frustrated by not meeting Moby Dick, what he does, Melville tells us, or really we should say Ishmael tells us, he paces the quarterdeck, and he walks between the binnacle, and he walks between the mainmast. Uh, I thought what I'd do is I did not know what a binnacle was. <laughs> Me neither. I had to look that up too. <laughs> yeah. So I looked it up, and... Uh, I should have known. I mean, I've taught this in class. I've made the, I've made the students know all parts of the ship, you know, and, and here I forget. But it's really interesting. And I think, I think it's uh, fascinating how Melville weaves this into what he's going to do with this chapter. Now, definition of a binnacle is a binnacle is the housing for a ship's compass. The idea behind a binnacle is to counter the magnetic deviation caused by the ship being made of iron so that the compass can point to magnetic north so it has to be it has to be on the ship or they're going to lose their direction so if you think about it uh every time ahab goes out for a walk he walks to the binnacle and he looks at the compass because he's trying to stray on track and and he knows supposedly the path that that moby dick is going so he doesn't want to get off the path and it says uh Metals uh, that were used to con- construct the binnacles were required to be non-ferrous or no iron. And uh, they could use brass, you know, things like that. But that would protect that that compass from not being on target. That's so. actually a lot better definition than the one I found. I thought it was more like a, a glass case for the compass, but it was more just decorative than anything else. You're, you're, you're talking about how it actually serves a real purpose, too. Yeah, it was like a metal house to protect yeah. it. Now you could, I think he could look through a glass to see it. Mm-hmm. But, but if it's, if it's not, if there's any iron on the ship, it's going to mess up the compass. And right. So, so the binnacle is essential to make sure yeah. the compass is pointing the right way. Yeah. I did not know that until just now. Yeah. So that's, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you think about it, I mean, uh, Mr. Turgeon and I have talked about this before many times. But there's a real spiritual side to this book. And, you know, we all have a compass. And if it's not protected from the wrong things, what happens? Exactly. We get off track. And somehow Ahab is the one who is the most focused on going in the right direction, except for the fact that he's crazy and (laughs) he's he's probably evil too. So He's a monomaniac, (laughs) as we'll see in this chapter. Ishmael. But his his ability to focus is admirable, though. Yeah, and that's that's one thing. Uh, of course, uh, Mr. Turgeon's grandfather is Mr. Gerald Flurry, and he loves to talk about literature. We love to talk about it together. And uh, Ahab, he really says, in terms of leadership, he's a great leader. It's just he's evil. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he wants that well. That's all he can think about. That's all he can focus on. And we have to learn to be that way in our lives. If we've got an issue we've got to deal with, even personally or even on our jobs, you know, we've got to stick to it. We can't just say, well, I'm not doing it. You know, you got to stay on target. So, uh, you know, I think it's just really kind of amazing how I think Melville felt the same way when he's making up this character. This guy is, he's on target. He's on focus. And nothing is going to, I mean, 
even when he goes to visit the Rachel and the guy's kids are missing, he says, oh, no, I'm getting Moby Dick before I have your before I help you with your kid. Well, that's a really interesting point too, mentioning Mr. Flurry, because he's also written about how we need to develop the ability to focus for a long time on our studies without fatigue, yep. which I thought was really corrective. I think especially in this age of distractions, because we're so used to stimulation hitting our brains from every different direction, whenever we think about, okay, I need to really focus for an hour, two hours, three hours, however long it needs to be, we almost can get tired at the thought of doing that right. even before we start actually focusing. Right. So here, I mean, Ahab is actually an outstanding example of focusing without fatigue. He just is locked in on getting this whale. Right. And the, th- the, the sad thing is, is he, he actually misused his skill by killing everybody off. Exactly. Except Ishmael. Even poor Pip. Pip is dead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's sad. But but your grandfather also, he talks about this, and, and Napoleon had that same ability where he would not lose his focus. He would just, before he went into any battle, he had his librarian get all the books about this guy, get all the, if they were going to be in a different geographic area, he got the geography books on, and he studied all of that, and he would study it for hours and not get tired. So uh, in some ways, even Melville, if you think about it, if you go in, if you if you have to write a novel like this, I mean, how many pages is it? He went in at eight o'clock in the morning and didn't come out till four in the afternoon. Right, and he wrote. I mean, this chapter is almost six full pages about a tiny gold coin. Yeah, and I mean, just so much meaning and depth taken from the little details on this coin, like we're going to talk about. But again, this is. It, sh- it shows Ahab's focus because he's microanalyzing this coin and getting every possible meaning out of it. Yeah. And then, obviously, Herman Melville, the author, is is a very deep thinker, too, because he's giving the perspective of multiple different characters as they come up to the coin. And they're all taking different lessons away from the inscriptions on the coin. I know. So much depth about a coin in yeah. one chapter. Yeah. How did he come up with that? It's, it's, it's great. So let me just read just a little bit from page 470 to get us going here. And uh, this is talking about um, Ahab, really. It says, when he halted before the binnacle with his glance fastened on the pointed needle in the compass, that glance shot like a javelin with the pointed intensity of its purpose. So he, he could focus on something. And, and so when he analyzed the compass, it was like sending a javelin in his glance on it. And he analyzed it. I mean, we, uh, we, we all need to learn to do that. It says, and when resuming his walk again, pause before the mainmast. Then as the same rivet, riveted glance fastened upon the riveted gold coin there, he still wore the same aspect of nailed firmness. <laughs> now that, that's great. Now, now if you've forgotten all of you out there, if you've forgotten about the whole scene with the gold coin and getting riveted and then they had the big ceremony and they put their swords together and they drank drank themselves drunk you know it was <laughs> it was like a satanic a satanic ritual but that's what he's talking about now this poor gold coin is actually nailed into the you know it can't move it's riveted <laughs> but it said when he when he looked at the gold coin he had that same aspect of nailed firmness 
only dashed with certain wild longing, if not hopefulness. So he's looking at the doubloon, and and he's uh, he's focused on it. But what's really going on in his mind? Why is he why is he hopeless? Well, I think he just knows how difficult the task is going to be. Even if even if he thinks he can defeat Moby Dick, he knows it's going to be almost impossible and it's extremely dangerous and he's always suffered he's already suffered horribly and he's chased this thing around the world i mean i can see where he might get a little bit discouraged it's interesting too because he's focusing on the compass which is like his direction and then the coin is basically his destination or his destiny so you've got direction and destiny and those are the things he's focused on so again really a lot of lessons we could apply even from his example of doing that in the wrong direction yes the thing i think and you could you can agree or disagree with me but i think part of when it says there was certain wild longing is remember i think he used the doubloon to to lock all those guys in on him and it's only 16 dollars, right but it's because it's gold wow it's like they're all lusting now for this gold coin and, uh, you know, in some ways, I think he's checking on it, too, to make sure it's still there. Because <laughs> if he's in bed at night or if he's sleeping, someone could lift it. <laughs> you know? But I also think he really, he looks at it and he thought, wow, I thought this would help me end this quickly. And it's not. Right. Because it, he thought, okay, they're all going to compete really hard to get Moby right. Dick to, to, to be able to take the coin for themselves. And that's also in the chapter here. Just the fact that, wow, this coin is there all the time. People walk past it all day long. No one ever steals it. But it seems like because all of them see that as more than a coin, they almost see it as some sort of a dark omen of their future, and they don't want to be cursed if they steal it, or they or they see a lot of vision and depth in it. Yeah. It's more than a coin to them, so they don't, they don't want to do anything to I it. I think it's also like this, I don't know, like it's like a magic coin. That they're, you know, they think that, it, you know, it's there and it's going to produce the magic for them. It could be like their idol to worship as well. Yeah. It almost seems like they revere this thing. Yeah. It's like it's got power, you know. Uh, th- th- there's another quote here that I want to get to, and we can, we can now go uh, get into what, you know, the reason why I think Melville has it in this is this is like a mirror to all their souls, you know, and we learn more about the characters. But it says, but one morning... Turning to pass the doubloon, he seemed to be newly attracted by the strange figures and inscriptions stamped on it, as though now for the first time beginning to interpret for himself in some monomaniac way uh, whether whatever significance might lurk in them. And some si- certain significance lurks in all things, else all things are little worth, and the round world itself but an empty cipher except to sell by the carload as they do hills about Boston to fill up some morass in the Milky Way. All right, so he he goes from this gold coin into the universe. I mean, think about what's what's he really thinking about here? I had to really research some of this to find out what he's talking about. Really, I think what he's saying there, he's talking about our world, it's an empty cipher, and, and a cipher means a secret. That's what it's, it's a secret or it's disguised. A cipher can also be a disguised way of writing. So it's like the secret code. And in many ways, I mean, we know that the Bible is full of truth, but it's also what? 
It's a code. It's a code. Yeah. So you see, I think this whole chapter really is about Melville as well. He knows their secrets. He can't dig them out because he doesn't have the key to the cipher. Right. There is there is just so much depth in that description. Like how 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 is he going from a coin to the Milky Way and he's somehow saying, Well, it's also there's it's so deep and there's so much meaning to it, but it's also empty because I don't understand any of it at all. And it's just a it's a different language to me. Yeah. I have no idea what it's all really about. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really good. Then he he talks about the the hills about Boston and, and I looked that up and the, you know at that time he could see into Boston. I mean he's in the Boston area. He's in the mountains. But they were having trouble with swamps and bogs and they needed to put dirt in them to to make them solid. So that's what that's in there. So oh, okay. so so in some ways he's saying here that you know the world is it's an empty cipher except to sell by the cartload. <laughs> you know so so obviously someone sold their dirt you know right. to, to do the bogs. So in some ways I think what Melville is saying is someone out there understands this. We just have to find out who they are, you know. So Right, and some people are clearly benefiting from having the necessary understanding and he just wishes he could understand as well because that would really answer so many of the questions that it seems like he had in his own life yeah and he we know at this time he really was studying the bible and he was studying shakespeare and uh you know how we feel about shakespeare he really is a teacher and he's teaching through those plays so this is what this is what it was so anyway, there's a whole little section there on on the gold coin, and uh, you know, what the gold coin looked like, and uh, I think he says there, uh, this is maybe we could just mention a little bit here. It says now the, the doubloon was a purest virgin gold, raked somewhere out of the heart of the gorgeous hills. So I think that gets back to the whole Boston Hills and the the, the Milky Way thing. It says whence east and west over golden sands and headwaters. Of many a pactuous flow. Now that's a river, and by the way, that river is uh, near the Aegean coast of Turkey. And it says there that uh, I, I looked this up. It says the river rises from Mount Timulus, flows through the ruins of the ancient city of Sardis. All right, so we know we we know about Sardis, don't we? He's got to be reading the Bible. Where else is he going to get this but the Book of Revelation? You know, so. right? And the Sardis era was. Dead, and Dead. he's talking about and the, in Turkey. The, he's talking about the world being empty in some way. So yeah. there's emptiness, there's deadness in this description. Yeah. So seems like maybe he's trying to say something there too. Yes. Oh, I think so. I think so. Um, he then, if you go down there, this is where I got it. page forty-seven, four seventy-one. We could go over, and it's talking about where the coin came from. And at the top of the page there, he said. Um, talking about the coin he said it was for set apart and sanctified to one awe striking end and however wanting in their sailor ways one and all their mariners revered it as a white whale's talisman talisman i mean and that's an inscribed ring or stone believed to have magic powers so this is why they didn't want to steal it <laughs> you could be cursed forever if you stole it and also when you're in the middle of the ocean it's hard to escape with whatever you stole yeah so what are you gonna they're going to keep searching you <laughs> until you give it up oh yeah yeah you're you're dead all right uh one thing is um 
Uh, let's let's go down just another paragraph here, just real quickly. It said it's so chance that the the balloon of the Pequod was a most wealthy example of these things. On its round border, it bore the letters "Republica del Ecuador Quito," and uh, that last I, I looked that up because I thought, what does that mean? And that's actually a city in Ecuador, so they know that the gold coin came from there. Um, then, if you want to go down. Uh, you can take over a little bit, Mr. Turgeon here. It talks about the zodiac. There was zodiac on it. There's three uh, hills on it. Anyway, we can start talking about that. I'll let you take over. Yes, there's uh, there's three hills on the coin, and there's a, a flame on top of one of those hills, a tower on top of the second hill, and then on top of the third hill, there's a, a crowing cock or a bird, and it seems like it's somewhat of a majestic bird or a victorious fowl that's what he says at the bottom of page 471 <laughs> and it, then it could be a cockfighter yeah yeah, yeah you see what i mean the victor yeah. one who one who won the fight He's right victorious yeah yeah so basically uh all are Ahab. <laughs> so yeah. That's what Ahab, Ahab is everything. saying to himself. He's, he's looking at all three hills and the images on top, and he says all are Ahab. So it also seems like he's talking about himself in the third person, which only very arrogant people do. <laughs> Monomaniacs. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he just sees everything he looks at. It's like, oh, yeah, that's me. That's This is all about me. And I, then, I, I encompass everything. Yeah, and that's like that. That little four-letter sentence at the end there is proud as Lucifer. I mean, it's like he's like Satan the devil. You know, it's like Satan. Satan the devil was vain, and I think it's telling us there that Ahab's pretty vain, right? I mean, he thinks he's everything. <laughs> well, Lucifer did actually have immense talent too, but I mean, Ahab obviously would fall far short of Lucifer, so yeah. he shouldn't be putting himself on on that level anyway. <laughs> yeah, but he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that, then I think the next thing is, talk about Ahab, it says, it talks about the victorious foulness, says, it's Ahab, all are Ahab, this round gold is but the image of the rounder globe, which like a magician's glass to each and every man in turn, but mirrors back his own mysterious self. So, I think that's pretty insightful into human beings, is we are, we do have human nature, and it is pretty mysterious, and you know, there are things I know I've done in my life that I was shocked I even did it because I didn't have a handle on what human nature was at that point. But, you know, you could think you're like an angel, you know, uh, being raised Catholic and being an altar boy. I had to wear the cassock and all that. And then when I finally realized there was a lot of mistakes in the Catholic Church and I left and my mom would just yell at me like, <laughs> and you were in the cassock and you would write with a bishop you know <laughs> i said well i learned about my mysterious self right and about the mysterious <laughs> the mysterious <laughs> self of the catholic church <laughs> so anyway uh so ahab thinks he's everything now, you want to go to a few more let's go to starbuck now right so all these characters take turns walking up to the doubloon and it seems like Ishmael's just sort of observing as all these characters <laughs> walk past. And I don't know. I don't think Ishmael could probably actually hear them talking to themselves. But he, it's almost like Ishmael is imagining what they're thinking about the doubloon. I'm pretty sure that's how it is. But uh, Starbuck uh, talks about from storm to storm. 
and we we live in pain and and die in pangs so poor poor starbuck knows like this is a pretty miserable existence out here on the ocean and you know i don't i don't think this is going to end very well out here so starbucks starbuck is basically trying to accept his fate and and do the best that he can with the life that he has left because he doesn't really trust ahab to allow any of them to survive on this quest no i mean starbuck is i think he is like the real faithful almost spiritually religious first mate you could have and you know he even talks about belshazzar in there he even uses the word son of righteousness in there so again you're looking at i think you're looking at melville he's thinking about all these bible concepts and he can kind of display them through the starbuck because starbuck is the only moral guy there right he stood up to ahab and right. said no i'm not doing this this is wrong you know yes and at starbuck i mean he sees the peaks and the valleys on the coin because there's the, the three hills and so he says well there obviously there's darkness down in the valley but if you rise up high enough then you you can see the sun again so there there always is hope somewhere even in the veil of death god girds us round he says so he somehow despite all that he's going through he does find at least a little bit of hope yeah yeah and i think because he believes in the son of righteousness Mm. it says he still shines as a beacon and a hope even in the darkness Okay, let's go to Stubb. <laughs> well, Stubb is a little bit more humorous about it. He's lighthearted, <laughs> as he usually seems to be. And he says, well, Starbuck and Ahab have just looked at this gold doubloon, and now their faces are about nine fathoms long. So it makes you think of the phrase, why the long face? Yeah, that's <laughs> So right. they're clearly very disturbed and very serious after analyzing this coin. He thinks they're overanalyzing the coin, so yeah. he's just sort of almost just laughing at them and he says he's talking about books like oh i'm trying he's trying to look into a book to research what the coin's all about and he says you books must know your places you'll do to give us the bare words and facts but we come in to supply the thoughts so he's saying i don't think these books know quite what they're talking about they can't tell me all the meaning that's actually in here Mm -hmm. yeah but it's just funny the way he insults people and insults everything but it's in a pretty humorous way Oh, yeah, because remember, he thought going into Wellship was like going out to dinner. (laughs) Yeah, you could be the dinner stubs. (laughs) Yeah, but he goes, Humph, in my poor insignificant opinion, I regard this as queer. (laughs) (laughs) Why so serious? (laughs) He's he's asking about those two. Yeah, but if you look at Stubbs' page, we don't have enough time in this program to go all the way through page 473. I mean, he's talking to the doubloon. You know, he's talking about astrology. He's talking about the different astrological symbols like Pisces and, and Gemini. And uh, so you got to think that Melville was studying all that at this time. Why does he put it all in there? Right. And it's and even though Stubb presents this in a lighthearted way, it's almost like he's saying life hits pretty hard round after round because he's showing the symbolism of all these zodiac signs and he says we'll see what they all mean these are like waves of hard things hitting us in life and then we're being shot in the back by arrows by this other (laughs) sign of the zodiac so basically you know we go through wave after wave of trials and we just try to survive that he says the scorpion stings us in the rear (laughs) (laughs) 
You know, I, you know, growing up, my mom was really into that. You know, she would read everything in the paper about all this. When we came into God's church, of course, we we stopped doing all of that. But then as the church in the worldwide church was going down, the minister gave a sermon one time about how Christ was a Capricorn. And my wife and I just, we almost got up and left because we said, <laughs> we just left all this. You know, there's people that do believe that and it's, not it's right. Very, it's very common now. You hear yeah. people talk about their what yeah. sign they are all the time. Yeah. He talks about PCs and the fishes. We sleep. It says there's a sermon now writ high in heaven, and the sun goes through it every year and yet comes out of it all alive and hearty. <laughs> so, you know, there, there is, as David says in Psalm 19, there is a message in the heavens, but it's not the way that man has devised it. You know, there's still a lesson there. And, uh, you know, we know that it was all created by God. And and we also know that the earth is in a perfect position to look at it. God wants us to look at it, but don't make up your own ideas about it. <laughs> you know. So anyway, we slip over to the next page. Let's go to Flask. This is funny. And, yeah, Flask uh, seems like he's a little bit more like taking it like a like a good luck charm from what I could yeah. understand from it. Like a horseshoe, maybe. Uh, or maybe a, mm-hmm. a four-leaf clover, something like that. Mm-hmm. So his his is sort of a more of a silly experience with the gold coin as well. And then you have Queequeg come up and, and take a look at it. And uh, <laughs> Ishmael says, no, he don't know what to make of the doubloon. He takes it for an old button off some king's trousers. <laughs> <laughs> and then Fadala comes up and he takes a look at it as well. And then Pip comes up. And <laughs> Pip is basically reciting his grammar like subject verb yeah. agreement he just says i look you look he looks we look ye look they look and then he repeats that two more times and so ishmael's like oh yes pip is trying and to learn, learn murray's himself. grammar yes very yeah. nice and then he says okay well that's funny he keeps doing it so it just yeah. it just goes on and on with him the very bottom of page 475 it says and so they'll say in the resurrection he's talking about pip now poor pip we we're going to have more with pip here before it's all over but Pip, Pip is actually mocking Ahab. He goes, ha ha, old Ahab, the white whale, he'll nail ye. <laughs> <laughs> so Pip thinks, and this is after his day in the universe of the ocean. <laughs> so maybe he's still nuts. But then he goes on to say, how did it get there? He says, and so they'll say in the resurrection when they come to fish up this old mast and find a doubloon lodged in it with bedded oysters for the shaggy bark. So Pip... Pip believes they're going down, you know, and that the balloon is still going to be on the mast, and someday someone's going to dig it up. So, well, that's all the time we have left for today. And uh, our next program, we're going to stay on the path of our final chapters of Moby Dick, and we're going to begin discussing Chapter 100. So that's really exciting. Now, you can buy Moby Dick at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may also be able to find a copy in your local bookstore. Now, of course, you can also check your local library. So please write me any comments you may have to JBL at jbl at pcog.org. You can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliterature1. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. So until next time, keep reading.
You've been listening to just the best literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.